<clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. One kid said something really bad, almost like a racial slur, I think, in German, um, and, you know, pertaining to my mother. And then I realized, oh, oh, right. I, I get it. Mom's Asian. Mom, mom's got black hair. Mom's not German and all that. Today on Partially Pinoy, we speak with Lagim podcast creator and host, Christine Abrigana. In this episode, we discuss the meaning of belonging, her passion for true crime stories, her decision to accept herself exactly the way she is, and how Christine finally came to terms with her cultural duality. This is Partially Pinoy, and we are powered by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. I will start off by asking you the number one question I get when I tell people I'm half Filipino, half Iranian, especially because my dad's Filipino and that's the more rare combo. I will ask you that same question. So Christine, you're half Filipino, half German. How did your parents meet? Oh gosh. Mom always wanted to uh, leave the Philippines. So she lived through the martial law area and sort of the economic slump afterwards. So she thought that going abroad would be the best thing to do. And so she actively sought out this pen pal partner agency who had a few interested Westerners who wanted to sort of be letter pen pals with Filipinas. So she had a pen pal in Australia and my dad in Germany. <laughs> she didn't like the guy from Australia because apparently he looked like Mick Jagger or something, like he had long hair, but she instead gravitated <laughs> to my dad who had no hair. Um, and so they started communicating, they exchanged pictures. And I think a year after my mom was like, right, I'm off to Germany. I'm marrying this guy and I'm going to have a Mestiza girl and nobody can stop me. And and then in 1984, I, I came. I'm Mestiza girl that she wanted. So you said that it was about a year of them going back and forth before she decided that they they probably decided they were going to get married pretty soon. Was this sort of a love that blossomed pretty quickly? I think there was, an, uh, there was a big attraction in the beginning, but the love came sort of after she flew over to Germany and towards those weeks and months before they got married. My mom is not a romantic. My dad was not a romantic. They were very sort of pragmatic people. And I think for both of them, it was about, for my, my dad was newly widowed at that point. And he said, I just want somebody in my life. I want a companion. And my mom was like, I want somebody who can understand me, my forward thinking. I'm a progressive Filipina. There's nothing for me in the Philippines. I just want to go and see the world. And I want somebody to be there to do that with me. And I guess, you know, the universe conspired to bring them together. Wow. So I, I'm the only child on both sides. Yeah. So they, my, my dad was newly widowed. Yeah. And he also remarried after um, both of my mom and dad separated. And my mom remarried as well, sort of one year apart from each other. And they didn't have any kids after, after, after me. So I'm, I'm the only kid. Yeah. You're the one and only Christine. This is something I have not actually brought up ever except to my husband. But I, just the other day, I was like, the, what it took for me to be born feels like it was like 
monumental. And, and I just thought, wow, I really probably needed to be born? I don't know. And so hearing your story, Christine, it feels to me that it's very similar. Like, do you have you had those moments and you thought, like, how did this happen? And here I am, the only one, because I'm an only child too. My my parents, even though they had sort of this very pragmatic, realistic, almost almost sort of very utilitarian type of marriage going on at the beginning, and they did love each other at some point, but it was also very dysfunctional. They're both very strong personalities, very domineering uh, people. Um, God bless their souls. They're, they 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 both passed away now, but they were they're very strong personalities. And I remember a lot of fights, uh, a lot a lot of altercations that almost got physical but never did but that was that was traumatizing for a young child and i think at some point both of them decided that oh this is too much for our child we might as well separate and when i think about sort of what they've gone through what they've tried they've really tried together to 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 stay together for us three to really to really function as a family and my mom had a also had a, a very very trying pregnancy and then afterwards didn't really succeed in conceiving again even though she tried with her second husband and i feel i ultimately i feel very grateful to both of them but also grateful that, that eventually they separated because it was just it was dysfunctional as well as you said you you were born in what city in germany in the 80s uh, in bonn so the, it used to be the capital of germany so uh, during the cold war so you're born and you had, would you say, a typical German childhood? What was, what were those early years like for you? Before we get into the topic of identity, like tell me about sort of the context in which you grew up. I was very much on the path of really integrating the Filipino identity in my upbringing, but also knowing that the community, um, it was very white, even though we had an influx of a few Filipina uh, nurses and midwives in Bonn at that time. Uh, but she was very aware that she was going to meet with resistance um, if she so obviously um, flaunted the Filipina upbringing, the Filipino upbringing and the fil her Filipinaness and imprint that on me. She was also very aware of that. So she she would tell me, I sneaked in some Bisaya words that I would teach you, some English words that I would teach you. It was not really clear at that point whether my father was for or against teaching me Filipino or Bisaya as sort of a a uh, second language because all all I was speaking at that point was German and it didn't really occur to me that we were different you know I looked at my mom I looked at my dad I looked at everybody else's parents and as a child you don't really see that you don't you don't perceive your otherness in a way and I I grew up thinking this is how everybody grew up my mom took me to Filipino parties my mom would cook Filipino food and I remember helping her uh, wrapping up the lumpia and and all that the first time that it was a shock to my system to realize that I was different was during a soccer game. And I was I was playing with some kindergarten mate. One kid said something really bad, almost like a racial slur, I think, in German, um, and, you know, pertaining to my mother. And then I realized, oh, oh, right. I, I get it. 
mom's Asian, mom, mom's got black hair, mom's not German and all that. And that was the first. And I think I was four or five at that point when I realized, oh my God, I'm not like, I'm not like them. These people don't make lumpia at home every Saturday or go to Filipino parties. This is fascinating. So you were very young when you sort of had to confront your identity for the first time. It's interesting you know, that it's associated with food. I think many people associate their identity with food. So there you were, a four or five-year-old. Is this around the time that you're, you said your mom took you to the Philippines when you were six? Was that what propelled that initial trip? So the, well, we've had a lot of trips um, before that, but the, the trip when I was six years old was was sort of the trip after my parents separated. So that was the, the one-way trip to the Philippines. Um, and that was when when we decided, mom, mom and I decided to stay in the Philippines and dad was left behind while they were sort of um, settling their divorce. Um, so that was the big trip, the, the big migration. And tell me about your last name. What is the root of that last name? So I actually use my mother's last name as sort of my podcast hosting. So Abrigana, we trace our roots back to Visayas, specifically Cebu and Negros Occidental. So both my grandparents and I think their parents were migrants from Visayas into Mindanao. So we're not indigenous uh, Mindanaoan. So my Filipino last name is also fairly rare, Jerusalem. And you know, there it's pronounced Jerusalem. It's not going to pass on, but I'm happy that I get to have it. So, okay, so you're six years old. Where do you guys move to in the Philippines? My mom decided right away it was going to be Davao City. Um, my mom decided that, you know, the best the best way to sort of not shock her daughter's system is to put her in the city. So Davao City. And um, from the very beginning, my mom was very clear about um, she's going to she's she's not going to enroll into an international school. She's going to enroll into a Filipino school. She's going to learn Bisaya. She's going to learn Tagalog. She's going to learn English uh, sort of full program. We were renting at the beginning and I can remember sort of not liking the area where we were, finding it very weird that these were just sort of flats, very, very close to one another, very different from how I was living the first six years in my life in Germany, where we had a very big old timberwood type of house. Um, And then my mom said that, um, don't worry, we're going to buy our own house made of, you know, made of um, stone and cement and all that. And it's just, it's just going to feel like Germany again. And, and she did, you know, she, she did fulfill that promise at some point. But yeah, she moved me to Davao and life just kind of took off after that. Wow. And so how long before you saw your father again after that first one-way move? Oh my God. So I was six. The first time that I saw my dad again was, I think, oh, hold on. I was nine or 10 and it was a surprise visit from him and I freaked out. I have not seen him in three, four years. And I always had this impression that he was this evil guy who, who oppressed my mother, you know, um, and, and I, I, I didn't have any relationship with him. I had, I had, um, a lot of phone calls with him at the beginning. I gradually forgot my German, so communication became very difficult. And at some point, he would get frustrated and I would take offense. And I had this very evil picture of my dad in my mind. So when he finally visited me, like he just turned up at my school 
school and I remember running to the bathroom like I don't even recognize this person anymore but this person kind of looks like me and it was a complete shock to the system yeah so that was that was that was fairly traumatic but I had to get over it really quick this he was reaching out he was really being good he was he was reaching out he said you know you have a picture you have a certain picture of me in your mind but that's not me and i want to have a relationship with you and and then we gradually sort of warmed up to each other how long did he stay and how did your mom take that visit oh my mom was not happy about um him showing up with with no you know without announcing himself first so she was mad at the beginning but she she's oh she's she was always very supportive of me having a good relationship with him so she sort of egged me on say you know talk to your dad try you know he knows a little bit of english try to communicate in english go have meals with him go i don't know go have a tourist trip wherever in davao go to the beach with him so she really um she really supported that i didn't feel at the beginning i didn't feel safe with him i i you know you want you want to feel safe with the adults that you you are with and i've not had a relationship with him so i didn't feel like he could protect me or anything and that was something that we had to work on um but yeah he he stayed for around 2 weeks in the Philippines having grown up there as a mestiza you know i personally know that that's something for better or worse that's highly i don't know what the right word is to use that's that's highly regarded that mm. you know i just remember always like getting touched and like you know getting looked at and all this stuff so what was that experience if you can remember of being perceived one way in germany and the complete opposite way perhaps in Davao City. Yeah, story of my life. Uh, so in in the Philippines, um I was always seen as the foreigner. So I was I was really never Filipino looking enough. So my hair is not, you know, black or dark brown. Um my hair is basically dark blonde and I'm 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 you know your your friend said white presenting i call it white passing but literally i'm very i'm you know, i'm pale compared to even the the fairest of filipinas um and and growing up there i i always felt like i had to prove to them i have to, i had to prove to all the filipinos that i've met that i was filipino enough and that's usually done through language and that's why i was very um adamant at um learning tagalog and being very good at it and also learning bisaya and being very good at it and i even thought at some point to be a linguist and learning sort of other filipino languages mainly sort of you know ilocano ilonggo and um and other sort of southern southern mindanao um dialects and languages because that was sort of my my way of proving everybody that look i might not look Filipino but I am Filipino. Look, I can speak the language and I was very proud of that. Um but yeah, I my whole my whole life in the Philippines I would hear things like hey Joe, ahoy tisay, you know, things like that. Um um oi kana kana americana americana, you know, that kind of thing. That was that was sort of my life in the Philippines and I learned to sort of um 
have my little quip saying, Oi, Bisaya ko, oi. And, you know, I would say, Oh, I'm Bisaya, you know, and you, you can't sell me because I know how to speak your language. You know, that's sort of a running joke. Um, you can't give me the wrong change in the jeepney because I know how much a jeepney fare would be. So it's always, it, it was always a quest of me trying to um, prove that I'm Filipino enough. Um, and one thing that made it difficult for people to accept me because even though I would tell people, um, I'm Tisai, I'm Mistisa, I'm half German, I'm half Filipino, and they're the, the, the Mestiza bit they're very fascinated about. But I am not the picture of Mestiza that they like. I'm plus size, I'm tall, I'm loud, I'm white passing, I'm everything, I'm everything that a Tisai should not be. And so that added sort of a layer of complexity in connecting with other Filipinos. So in, in Germany, it, it was quite, it's, it, was, it was a bit the same but not maybe so i arrived in germany and people look at me and they they some of them would see german some of them would see maybe mediterranean and they hear that i have a twang that i'm not really they see that i'm not german german and i remember having a filipino german classmate in 11th, 12th, and 13th grade over there. And she looked very Filipino, but she grew up in Germany. So she, if you don't look at her, she she sounded German, her, you know, all her pop culture references, everything that she grew up with, everything's German. So she is with the Germans. She was accepted as German and we couldn't get on with each other. That was a microcosm of how I felt within Germany. And so, and so yeah, it was tough, yeah. So something that I find really interesting is that you used language in the Philippines to demonstrate your right to the space that you were in and the space that you wanted to be in. And now, and to me, language is audio. Of course, there's body language, there's all this other stuff, but language is primarily using sound to communicate with each other. And so I find it really fascinating that for you, you know, the segue into podcasting as a way to sort of use audio to understand, to be understood, I find this all extremely fascinating. Uh, And we'll talk about that more in a moment. Uh, So it sounds like you at some point after several years in the Philippines, then returned to Germany? Yes, yes. At what age was this? And what prompted that move? Oh, so I had graduated from high school in the Philippines and my mom had hit quite a wall with her business. And she said, look, I would send you to the best college in town, but I don't think I can afford it for the next four years. Your dad is offering to to sort of um, bring you over to Germany pay for everything and you can get a European, you know, education. So at this point, you and your dad were probably consistently speaking, like he had reestablished that relationship and and you could do that easily, make that phone call or make that decision. So then you went to Germany and you spoke a little bit about that experience. Uh, What did you study at school? What, What college did you choose to go to? How was it? living now back in Germany, you know, all of this. And and you spoke about the language, but tell me about sort of the the larger piece of it. 
I got back to Germany and I knew that I had forgotten like 90% of the language because I refused to speak it as a child. So my dad enrolled me in, in an intense course and, um, and I went and learned German like four, four times a week, you know, eight, eight hours a day, uh, enrolled in sort of 11th grade a year after, because in Germany, after 10th grade, you can't really go to university. Uh, like in the Philippines, you have to go to three more years of education if you want to go and be in university. Um, and so I... Sorry, I have to ask. So you were for nine months speaking German four times a week, eight hours a day. Yeah, and writing and listening and everything. Oh my gosh. Aside <laughs> from the twang, did it work? Do you yeah. feel like you gained <laughs> all that language back and more? Yes, yes. I was able to get into a German school. And by the time I graduated from 13th grade, I did get a, a, high, a high enough mark that even law schools could have accepted me in Germany. So I was very proud of that because law, law school and med school are, are two of the most difficult sort of courses to get into in Germany. But I know. Um, wow, amazing. So you graduated, you went to college in Germany, and what did you study? Um, I... I actually didn't go to Germany for college. I wanted to get away from Germany. I've had enough of the Germans at that point. I was having my identity crisis. Um, my relationship with my father was doing all right, but he was married and the wife didn't really like me. So she was sort of standing in between us and I decided I don't, I don't want to deal with her right now. I just want to like, I just want to enjoy college and, you know, being this age. So I hopped over to the Netherlands, hopped over the border, um, enrolled in this obscure liberal arts university college. And what language was that being taught at? What was that college? It, it was all in English. It was all in English. So how many language, let me, I want to guess how many languages you speak fluently. <laughs> so English, German, Visayan. I heard you say Ilocano and Tagalog. We'll return to our show and hear more from our guest in just a moment. So I've always grown up hearing all sorts of stuff um, like, um, you have to lose weight, that was always a favorite, or you have to lose weight. This show is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia, powered by Podmetrics. Podmetrics takes care of the details so we can focus on making the best content for you. Visit podmetrics.co and sign up for free. Use code PARTIALLYPINOY. No, so I don't speak Ilocan. I wanted to learn. Um, so I speak four fluently. So yeah, you're right. Um, English, German, Bisaya, and Tagalog. Yeah. So what is what is your relationship right now with your Filipino identity? You're, you know, very much immersed in German culture, European culture. Where are you having opportunities to connect to that side of you? Uh, and maybe this is an opportunity to expound a bit on the identity crisis you were having, which you touched on, which is like, where do I really belong? But but how are you in the moment thinking about that identity? 
when I was around that age, I remember just not even really thinking about my identity, except that that's what I am. You know, I wasn't exploring it. I wasn't trying to connect to it in any way. So yeah, what was your relationship to the Philippines? Did you miss it? Had you visited since you came? The thing with with me having that crisis at 16 or 17 was basically prompted by the fact that I have always been the kind of person who wanted to be accepted. I'm very much a people pleaser. I want to be accepted. You know, that's just part of who I am, maybe rooted in childhood trauma, but that's another conversation. But I've always wanted to be sort of accepted in both in both my cultures, because I've always said I'm both the whole questioning my Filipino identity resurfaced around my 30s um, when I started sort of thinking about maybe settling down, maybe um, looking for a partner. The Filipino diaspora is, is, you know, is big, is vast, is diverse. And I'm just one of these people. And that's how I found my peace. <laughs> and this just happened really maybe a couple of years ago. So it was, it was a journey. Yeah, there's no right way to be a Filipino you know, something that you're very, very open about and accepting of, you mentioned it earlier that ident- your identity is more than being Filipino, right? And it's more than being German. You also openly talk about or express like being plus sized. So tell me about sort of that journey, because I find it to be like an extremely healthy, like positive way of just existing in the world and like how open you are about it. So how did, how, how do all of these things kind of mesh for you? Because then we're going to get into all this other stuff I want to talk about with, with your podcast and how that was born as well. So, so tell me as you're trying to, you know, connect to all this different aspects of identity, where, where does everything sort of come together for you? I think, you know, it's maybe it's in the family or it's just, you know, it's just I've, n- I've never known it any differently. And in the Philippines, we we have we have such a weird perception of beauty and and body and body politics as well. So I've always grown up hearing all sorts of stuff um, like um, you have to lose weight. That was always a favorite or you have to lose weight. And then at every corner, all you have to lose weight, all you have to lose weight. And then I, I kind of reached my, my, my teenage years and sort of, you know, dabbling in very dangerous sort of diet habits to the point of like, you know, not being able to think properly because, you know, just you're, you're, you're trying to like um, not eat um, and, you know, just depriving yourself and, you know, messing with your metabolism. And at some point I got so fed up with it. I'm just like, look, you know, um, I don't care anymore. I just want to be happy. I'm I'm doing I'm doing stuff. I'm I'm active. I play volleyball. Um, I you know I'm I'm in the student council. I'm an honor student. So why why is it always about my body? Like there are so many sides to me. Why why do people look at me and that's the first thing that they that they that they want to pick on? And I got so fed up with it. I learned to have my little quips. You know when when people you know body shame me. And when I got to Germany, it was quite different. I. I saw that there are people who were taller than me, bigger than me, had different shapes. And even though the Germans can be very critical when it comes to body image and all that, I didn't only see myself as this plus size person dealing with all of these bullying and body shaming, but I saw it as a way to also say, look, I'm, I'm, this is, 
this is me as a woman. I take space here. I demand, I demand respect like anybody else, because at the end of the day, um, whether you think, whether you think I'm healthy or not, whether you think I am attractive or not, the main thing is you have to respect me. And that's what I'm trying to all, you know, I've, I used to have this Instagram page about plus size fashion. And that was also my advocacy that you don't have to find me attractive. You don't have to agree with how I eat and how I, how I, you know, um, keep myself healthy or not healthy. But the main thing is respect. And that's how I gradually became very comfortable with, with who I am, with my body, uh, despite all the bullying and trauma from when I was in the Philippines. I think what's so interesting about body judgment in the Philippines is just how casual it is. I know I don't know how it is in Germany, but I know in the U.S. If people are have a comment about it, like they know that that is mean. Like it is very conscious because there is so much awareness around around the topic. But in the Philippines, it's like so casual. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's said, you. <laughs> I know it's like said in passing and we're all supposed to have like a good laugh about it. And, yeah. and then if you say anything, it's like, what, what? Like, I'm just, yeah. you know, it's, I know. And they say, oh, you're so picon, you're so easily angered, but you know what? Those things hurt, you know? And, and I love that right now, like there's so many body, body positive or, you know, body, um, body advocates out there who are really, I'm, like I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not at the forefront of that. But there are a lot of like, f- you know, Filipino Americans, but also Fil- Filipinos on the in the motherland, F- Filipino uh, Europeans as well, who are really, you know, that's the whole advocacy. That's their whole content on Instagram. For example, they write about, it, they make videos about it, they unpack the culture, and where it all comes from, and I learn from it. You know, so I learn sort of the, I, I learn a lot from the sort of the general body positive advocates out there. And unfortunately, it's still very white dominated. But then I, I make it a point to look for the Asians out there, the, the you know, um, um, the African American or um, just African body positive advocates out there because they understand that there is another layer to when you grow up brown, when you grow up black. So then I've, I've fo- I follow a few, a few people who are in the Philippines who talk about these things and like, yes, that's what it, that's what, that's what it is. Unpack that. Let's unlearn that. Let's tell the people about that and hope to try, you know, change that in our culture. <laughs> Agree. I, I also think it's really odd because Oh, I grew up seeing a lot of gay people and cross-dressing people. This is like a thing that just existed, you know, in my Manila, Quezon City upbringing. And, and so on the one hand, and it was just also a group of people that were integrated. And in, in my opinion, I, I know there was a lot of discrimination also that I wasn't as a child aware of. But I just remember seeing cross-dressers everywhere. And it felt like you know, this was something that was accepted. And so I I just find that so interesting that on the one hand, there was this acceptance that is far more open than what I noticed in the United States for that. But then there's this other casual way of like dismissing anyone who doesn't fit the mold when it comes to bodies, right? Your body, the color of your skin, the shape of your nose, how hairy you are, like all those how things. How dark you are. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so, so far you have shared with us this beautiful unfolding to who you are now. 
listeners will know you, many listeners will know you and identify you with this amazing show that you've created that just keeps growing and uh, gaining more traction. Tell me about how, you know, first of all, that was born, whether or not it was related to your search for identity, and then how, having done it, having done the research, I imagine, like, in some of your episodes, I, I just know, like, the depth of research is, like, really intense. You must have felt more connected to some aspects of your Filipino culture as you were diving deeper and deeper into these stories. And so so tell tell us how that, you know, this amazing project was born and whether or not it was directly connected to your searching for identity. And then now that you've done it, how it's either enhanced or deepened your connection to your Filipinoness. So the game podcast, oh God, what a journey. So I grew up in Davos City in the 90s. And, um, you know, Davos City was a chaotic city back then. And the Philippines in general was steeped in this culture of crime reporting that was brutal in the 90s. So I I was in, in the middle of that where, you know, dead bodies were not blurred on primetime television news shows. And we were exposed to that as if it's the most normal thing. There was no you know, content warning at the beginning, our parents didn't think it was bad, you know, let them see dead bodies. It's a real thing, you know? Um, So I grew up in that culture and I remember being very, very fascinated. I remember um, the, there was a, there was a whole genre in the nineties, especially the early nineties about, um, putting into film all these horrible stories, sort of the Maggie de la Riva story, the Lipa massacre. And those were the kind of movies that I grew up in when, you know, in my formative years. And I remember wanting to watch them, my mom vehemently denying me that opportunity because it was too brutal. Um, but I was very interested and I've, I've, I've always wanted to like know more. And I remember consuming um, sort of, um, not only crime shows, but also court shows. So there was one lawyer who would tell true crime stories, but from a lawyer's point of view, concentrating on focusing on sort of the trials and all that. And I, I, consume that like it was candy like yes i want to know more i want to i want to know the difference between like you know what kind of killer that person is and what did that other killer do so i remember being really steeped into that culture and 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 being fascinated by it and not being scared or not be not feeling squeamish about it and everybody else around me feeling squeamish and i thought mm, okay i'm weird but let's not tell anybody let's just move on and then you know, fast forward to be, you know, to Germany where, you know, oh my God, like I have my own TV and there's so many movie channels and TV shows and, you know, suddenly seeing CSI, you know, and oh my God, like I'm hooked. Like I would watch every evening. There's going to be like Navy CIS or CSI. And my whole week was, was, was determined by, by what CSI would come out on that specific evening. And I just realized, okay, so I may be into true crime and I remember reading true crime books but that not being um quick enough as to sort of the buildup of the action and then finally discovering podcasts you know where I just listen and and 
uh, I, I, I'm in I, those, you know, the, the narrators being in my ear and I like that intimacy and being very fascinated by how some people researched those cases and wanting to know more about the cases that they've talked about. And every true crime fan, especially every true crime podcast fan, goes through the basics. You've got your Ted, Bu Ted Bundy, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, all the cults, mostly Canadian, American, Australian, UK cases. By the time you're done, so maybe your first few years, you're well-versed in all of those sort of mostly white criminals, white killers, Filipino cases. We have so many interesting cases. We have so many obscure and shocking cases out there, and it is barely represented in the true crime genre, let alone in the true crime podcast genre um, or industry. And so I remember being a trainee lawyer in 2017, 2018, and dreaming about having my own podcast, but thinking that First of all, I don't have money for the equipment. Secondly, I am annoyed by my voice. <laughs> uh, thirdly, I, I, even though I am trained to be an advocate in court, um, I am very nervous when it comes to anything that is not sort of court rated. So then I, I need to like write everything down and have a script and maybe that's not, not going to come off as nice enough. That's not going to translate well into podcasts. So I sat on it. I sat on it for three, two years just consuming all the true crime podcasts out there to the point that I said, you know what, I, maybe I should record on my phone. I can't, okay, so I can't afford, you know, a microphone. Um, I'm going to record on my phone. I'm just going to do this. I'm going to write my first script. That script I, uh, I've written and rewritten, I think, six times, and it's it sat in my computer for six months. Um I think from July of 2019, um, no, 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 uh, July of 2020, this was in the middle of the pandemic already. Um, and then I said, you know what, Let, let's just record it. Let's just do it. And so, and so I recorded it just wanting to tell stories, wanting, wanting the podcast world to know that we have good stories here that we're worthy of being included in the true crime genre and in, in the podcasting world. And that's sort of how Lagim got on the way, yeah. What does Lagim mean? It means dread or like terror, like a feeling of dread, in yeah. In what language? In Tagalog, in Tagalog. Filipino. Okay. Yeah. We want to say hi and big thanks to the guys from Kumu. Kumu is a Pinoy live streaming app where you can tambay with Filipino streamers and celebrities. Use our link in the description to follow some amazing Kumu streamers. It's not a term I remember at all or grew up with, <laughs> one of those obscure uh, terms. And so you yeah. started this project during the pandemic? Well, it finally took off in the pandemic, but believe me, the, the idea was way before COVID-19. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I love your story. It's so inspirational. Can you share, Christine, what kind of advice or thoughts, if you could have a conversation with either a younger version of yourself or somebody out there who is going through something difficult with either their Filipino identity, their mixed race identity, or with their body, like what would you tell them on how to confront those feelings like right now? Imagine a late teen, early 20s woman, oh, girl? Um, 
I would first of all tell them that you are so enough, that you are Filipino enough, you are woman enough, whatever you identify as, you are enough as that person. Um, the problem with our society is we see ourselves from a very white male gaze, and that's that's how, that that has affected all of our identity, especially as a colonized people. And so we see ourselves through the through the lens of a, of, a, of sort of a white colonizer, and as women, we see ourselves from the from the lens of a, a man, and that 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 obscures our view of ourselves and how we see our worth, and. All I can tell sort of a teenage version of me um, or a teenage, you know, mixed race Filipina out there is, uh, first of all, you're enough, as I said. Secondly, don't be afraid to inform yourself about both cultures, especially your Filipino culture. There are so many stories and historical bits out there um, that you can that you can um, sink your teeth into, and then you will realize that it is a wonderful culture that is worth your time. It's worth learning about it. It's worth investing in it, and make sure that you. And the third thing that I would advise is, if you are active on social media make sure to unfollow unfollow people and accounts that will make you feel like you're less than less than a woman less than beautiful less than filipino less than intelligent less than worthy make sure that you follow educators who are um, in the diaspora educators who are on the, in the motherland educators who know more and you can learn more from because only then can you realize um can you finally see that you're you've been whole the whole time and it's because of other people's perception that you felt kulang or missing something or lacking something and that's what i would tell them it's it's an ongoing journey for me by the way i, I speak like this like i've figured everything out like no no i've absolutely not figured everything out um and it's a continuous journey it, it, it never stops because there are always people who are going to you know walk up at you and tell you other other things to make you feel unsure and insecure about yourself but the older you grow and the more educated you get the more uh the more you the more weapons you have in your arsenal the more clapbacks you can get and you can end up educating them yourself and that's that's the beauty of it i'm reminded of an interview i did recently that's actually releasing uh this week uh, april world she's an artist in montana and she said that she deliberately started following only Filipino accounts and it's completely changed the way she sees herself and her identity and it's been so much better so that's it feels like a small thing but there's so much power in following each other. Partially Pinoy is a Podcast Network Asia production in partnership with Bridger Media in Los Angeles. Our show is developed and executive produced by Leila Jerusalem. The series is produced by Nikai Lucanias.
The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.